Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. actually starting a new series. We've been blessed to have, we were blessed to have Chandler with us last week uh, talking about the armor of God and picking up the armor of God. Hopefully you were encouraged. I was. Um, we're all fighting different battles and we all need God in those battles. Um, but this morning we're actually starting a new series um, called In For and With, Engaging Our Community. Um, we're talking about how are we as the people of God called to engage the place where we live? How does a follower of Christ engage in the world around us? And so um, this series, the idea for this series came from a conversation I had with Taylor. If you don't know Taylor, she's the campus director here. She does everything um, besides preach. No, she does, she does quite a bit. She's amazing. Um, but uh, she, we were having a conversation about what type of church we want to be, and I've used this phrase for a while. Well, we want to be a church that's in our community, for our community, and with our community, and she said, great question. What does that mean? Um, And so we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be a church that's in, for, and with our community? Because it's been a piece of our vision for Blaine that we would be a church that reaches out, that's in our community, for our community, with our community. Um, So let's unpack that. What does it mean? How are we as Christians supposed to be involved in the world? Um, because what this phrase in for with communicates is that we as a church, we're not separating ourselves from the community. We're not trying to build a fortress um, that we all hide in, but we're actually sent out by God to engage in the world around us. We're actually supposed to live among people. Um, because we as Christians, we have a purpose, and that purpose is to reach out to the world. Um, to be Jesus, to draw others into God's kingdom. He's the one, we're the ones that he sent to uh, spread the news of his kingdom to the earth, uh, to bring love and peace and joy and hope. We're the ones that God sent. There's no plan B. Um, we're the ones. Um, but one thing I know that by living in the world, um, this isn't an easy thing to do. It's easier said than done. And I don't know if you've experienced that kind of tension in trying to live out your faith in the world around you. Um, I remember one time where this tension was, was uh, really evident, and it was um, after, um, after I left college and got a job in the real world, so to speak. Um, when I was in college, I was in this really amazing Christian community, and then I, um, Bonnie and I moved up to Portland, and I got into this job where I was working 60 hours a week, and it was just in a different environment, um, to put it one way. Uh, you know, I felt like the odd man out as a Christian. You know, here I was in sort of like a work hard, play hard type environment, and I often felt like the odd man out. You know, I wasn't talking about women the way that other guys in my office were talking about women. Um, I wasn't partying like the other people in my office were partying. Um, and so my work tried to fix that, and uh, they sent me on a trip to Baltimore training. Uh, and my boss told the coworker that was going with me, he's like, hey, I'm gonna give you some instructions. On this trip, I want you to try to get Tyler drunk, okay? Could you just try to get him drunk? And uh, I was, <laughs> you know, that was his marching orders. Can you imagine that? Like, oh, okay. It didn't happen. Um, actually, he became one of my good friends on the trip. Uh, but, you know, think about that. I mean, it's like, well, if we want Tyler to be one of us, we're going 
to have to get him drunk. And I remember thinking while I was working there, man, God, I'm hanging on by a thread. Like, I, I know you want me to reach out, but I'm just trying to survive in my faith as a Christian. I'm just trying to make it, and I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread. Um, but this is the world we live in. You know, this is the world we live in. And I don't know whether you feel pressure from your work or from your family or from your friends, but we all experience some kind of pressure uh, that makes us feel like we're in survival mode when it comes to our faith. You know, one thing we might do, feel overwhelmed by, is just looking at all the tragedy in our world, you know? Our nation is reeling from two mass shootings this week, and we're wondering, what do we do with this? Um, the best reaction I saw on social media is just somebody who posted, Lord, what can I do? Like, in the face of this tragedy, Lord, what can I do? What can we do? And I think that's the right question for us to ask. Like, are we desperate enough for our city to ask God that question, Lord, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want us to do with what you've given us to make a difference here? How do you want us to engage in the face of pain? And so here's the main idea that we're going to chew on today, and it's going to be on the screen. The main idea is this, is that true followers of Jesus will be different from the world around them, yet at the same time completely present and engaged in it. So there's two things going on here. We as Christians are called to be different from the world, but at the same time we're com called to be completely engaged in it. Uh, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. So how do you do that? That is the tension of life. How do we do both? And so to answer that question, I want to look at a passage today um, in, the, in the Bible, in the, in the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet to Israel during the time when they were exiled, when, when the, the southern kingdom of Judah was um, captured by Babylon and taken away. Um, that's the environment that Jeremiah prophesied in. And uh, he writes in Jeremiah 29, which is where we're going to be this morning, um, if you have your Bibles, um, he writes to the Jews, who are God's chosen people, after they had been taken from Jerusalem and marched up to Babylon. He's speaking to exiles. See, when the Babylonians captured Judah, what they did is they didn't want Judah to rebel against their new rule, so they removed all the leaders from that community and took them to Babylon. Can you imagine what would happen to a city if you just decided to take all the leaders of that city and take them away? Like chaos would happen, right? It'd be really, really difficult. So he takes the royalty, he takes the elders. He doesn't just take that, though. He takes all the skilled tradespeople, all the people who know how to build things and, and uh, do things. He takes all of them as well because they're going to build into the empire of Babylon. And so they, he marches them all up to Babylon, and, and we know just the Bible sort of infers that people died along the way, like they were mistreated, um, they, you know, they abused on the way. So you can imagine as this group of people gets to Babylon, like they're, they're, they're wrecked, you know, they're emotionally wrecked, they're scared, they're angry. But it's surprising then, as they're now in this new setting and, you know, they're, they're, they're scared and wrecked, uh, what God tells them. He says this in Jeremiah 29. It'll be on the screen. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This would be shocking to get this kind of letter, right? You've just been through all of this stuff, and now God is saying, settle down. Like, live in it. Be there. Like, be present. Um, It would be shocking if you were a traumatized people like this people. You're living in the land of your oppressors, really. You've been dragged against your will up to this foreign land. They probably hate this land with all intents and purposes, and none of us would say anything different, you know, because we'd know the story. Uh, but God tells them to settle down. You know, they've, they, he sent them to this land that is full of its own idols. Like Babylon was full of its own idols. It was full of violence, full of sexual immorality, full of all these things. And he says, no, settle down. I want you to, um, you know, build houses, plant gardens. I mean, is there anything more peaceful than a garden, right? Plant gardens, raise up your kids and marry them off. Just grow in that space. Grow in the space that I've sent you. And so this is the first part of God's message that he gave to the exiles, but it applies to us. And it's this. It's to be present. Engage in the life of your community. God sent you to your place. God sent you to your place. Engage there. He tells these scared hostages to embrace their new surroundings, to thrive in them, to be present in them. You know, it would have been easy for the exiles to dismiss the place they live, to say, it's evil, I'm not going out there, I'm not going to talk to anybody, I'm get, we're going to create a compound right here, right now, nobody can get in. Um, but they didn't. You know, they could have refused to engage their city because of all the injustice, all the idolatry that they saw going on. Um, instead, God calls them to be a people of grace and forgiveness. God calls them to be a people of grace and forgiveness instead of being self-righteous in the place where they landed. And sometimes this can be our mentality in the place we live. Sometimes we fight against culture instead of fighting for people. Does that make sense? We fight against the culture that exists instead of fighting for the people that are desperately looking for hope. And we can even judge whole groups of people instead of being that source of hope. And so what this communicates is that fighting against the culture of your community is actually the wrong battle for us. And um, a guy named Mez McConnell and uh, Mike McKinley say this in their book. They have a book called Church in Hard Places. Um, But they say this, people groups and places are not fundamentally things that need to be fixed. If you come into a poor community with anything other than love and appreciation, you are sunk before you begin. Its damage and difficulties may look different different than yours, but every culture has them. We just see other, other people's problems more clearly. Our job is not to fix whole cultures, but to share the good news and to disciple those God draws to himself. He doesn't send people in to fix the culture. He sends people in to disciple people, to draw others to himself. And so it's our job not to fix the culture, but to disciple those who God is drawing to themselves. And that means being present. That means not hiding, uh, uh, not hiding away in our own little world and being detached, but being integrated in what's going on in the world, face-to-face interaction. 
But the key verse I want to focus on in this passage is there's a laser focus uh, on verse 6. And this is kind of the most shocking statement of this passage where he says, God says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the city I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. Seek the good of the city. Now, you've probably heard the Hebrew word for welfare here. Um, It's the word shalom. Who here has heard the word shalom before? Few people, right? God's saying, seek the shalom of the city that you're in. Shalom is such a critical word for us to understand. It means peace, but it's way deeper than that. Um, One translator put it this way. The Hebrew term shalom conveys all aspects of peace, safety, security, welfare, and prosperity. Jeremiah's advice to seek the well-being of their enemy's homeland would have been surprising and offensive, but the success and prosperity of the exiles would have depended on the peace and stability of their new home. So God is asking them, link your success to the success of the place that you're in. Link your peace and prosperity to the place where I have you. Um, God's asking them to be people of peace, safety, security, welfare, and prosperity to go all in, to, to really love the place that they're in, to really love the place that they're in. God wants his people to bring his shalom wherever they are. So at your workplace, at your family, at your job, wherever, we're supposed to bring God's shalom, God's peace, God's prosperity into that place. You know, someone said that we, in our culture, we treat places like we do a lot of other things. We treat places like consumers sometimes. We look at places, well, I'm going to live here because this is what's best for me. Um, We can be quick to discard people, places, neighbors that no longer appeal to us instead of establishing us ourselves in the fabric of a neighborhood. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't move us or change things up or do different things, but he wants us to be all in wherever we're at. So wherever you're at, your neighborhood, God wants you to be all in there. He wants you to be a people of peace. For a Christian, it's really our job to bring shalom to wherever God has us, not to seek it out. I think sometimes we want to seek out places that already are peaceful and prosperous instead of bringing that in with us. You know, if God, if God called you to East L.A. this morning, would you go? <laughs> Stephen would. Right on, man. <laughs> Hey, from East LA. Okay, cool. Right on. If, if he called you to the inner city, would you go? You know, because he's not calling you to try to find a place that already has peace and prosperity. He's asking you to bring that into wherever you are. Does that make sense? And the truth is, is that the peace of God isn't something that we can create on our own. You know, we don't get there by living in a place that's already perfect. Um, We can't even get there by having a great view of Mount Baker. As beautiful as Mount Baker is, um, it doesn't, it's not actually that that brings the peace of God. In fact, I feel guilty sometimes when I'm stressed out and I'm driving by the freeway and I see Mount Baker over here. It's like, why isn't, why aren't you bringing me peace right now, Mount Baker? Come on. Um, I don't know. That's a thought, I guess. 
Uh, but you can't, you can't get God's peace by just thinking peaceful thoughts, you know? You can't get God's peace by just listening to nature sounds. Um, you know, you can't get God's peace by spending any time on the internet at all, right? It's just not out there. Um, but this is what God's word says about the shalom of God, the peace of God. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, you keep him in perfect peace, you keep him in shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Whose mind is stayed on God, whose, whose main thought is God, who's seeking God. He keeps, God keeps you in perfect peace when you keep your mind focused on him. And then Paul says this in Colossians 3.15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. We're supposed to let the peace of Christ rule. It's easy to let a lot of other things rule, right? It's easy to let anger rule. It's easy to let outrage rule. I saw a statistic that like, we're 87% angrier than we were 10 years ago. And I don't know how you quantify that, but apparently that's a real thing. Um, you know, we can't let our own self-assuredness rule. That's not the peace of Christ. Fear isn't supposed to rule. Peace is supposed to rule the peace of God. We're supposed to let, let is a passive thing. We're supposed to let the Holy Spirit take over our hearts with the peace of God, to let it rule. And that's where we start getting some traction here because that's what makes us different. If we're a people of peace, we're different. We're different than the world. And that's where things start to connect. Because the Jews were not just sent up there to be present, they were sent there to be different, to be a different people. And so this is what it looks like to be different. Be different, bring the peace, the shalom of God to the world. Be, bring the peace of God into the world. In order to bring the peace of God into the world, we first have to experience the peace of God in our hearts. See, God wanted his people to be peace in a nation that was falling apart. Does that sound familiar at all? Um, God wanted his people to bring peace to a nation that was falling apart. Like, like our culture, Babylon was consumed with all different idols. But God wanted his people to be the peace in the middle of that. What happens when a people of peace invade a world that's killing itself? A light shines in the darkness. A light shines in the darkness. What if we were controlled by a peace that wasn't intimidated by our culture, that was engaged but not affected? What if the peace of Jesus ruled in our hearts? We'd definitely stand out. We'd definitely be a light in the darkness. We'd be hope to a hurting world. See, I don't think this is just spiritual. I think this is super, super practical. Um, many of you know I worked with at-risk kids for a while. And when I started, I was way over my head. When I ended, I was way over my head. But when I started, I was even way more over my head. Um, but we ran a summer camp every year, and I remember feeling so much anxiety before heading into this thing. Um, and there was a Christian counselor that was a friend of mine that was like the crutch that I leaned on to like make it through that summer. And one thing he would always say is that what kids really need, what these kids really need that you're working with is a non-anxious presence. Is someone who's non-anxious, a non-anxious presence, someone who's going to be there calm in the middle of the storm. 
Um, you know, as they're dealing with all the repercussions, all the things in their life that feel like they're falling apart, they need somebody who can just be calm and be there and be peaceful. You know, what if we let the peace of Christ rule in us? Then we could be the stability that others can lean on. We could be the calm in the middle of other people's storm. That's why it's so important. That's why peace is so important. We can be <clears throat> a people that are present and focused and not up to here with our own problems. Sometimes I feel like I'm up to here, and if you add one more thing, I might explode. But if the peace of God rules in our hearts, we are able to be present when everyone else is feeling overwhelmed. We'd be the shalom of God. So that's shalom. And then did you catch the instruction after shalom? It was this. Pray to the Lord on behalf of your city. We're supposed to pray. They want, God wants his people to intercede on behalf of his city. You know, if you're frustrated at work, if you're frustrated at the, at the world, at community, the first question is, are you praying for what you're frustrated with? Are you praying for your community? Because instead of complaining, instead of um, being upset, instead of um, rushing around and trying to fix everything, God calls us to pray. Can we pray first? You know, prayer is this foundational piece to engaging our community that the church is missing. And missing. Um, not praying and being a Christian, it's like playing basketball but not dribbling, you know? That would look so weird, you know, if you were, if you had one basketball team that never dribbled, right? You'd be like, dude, you know you can dribble, right? You don't have to get stuck everywhere. You can, you can dribble, you can move. And that's like us trying to reach our city without praying. You know, it's like we're forgetting the fundamental. We need to go back and, and learn the fundamental. We need to be praying for the people around us. You know, and that's the question. Are you praying? Are you willing to commit to pray? Are you praying for the people around you? Because prayer doesn't really cost much. That's one thing I really like about it. Um, it costs you time. But really, it doesn't cost you much else. It costs you five minutes. Like, what if you just took five minutes and prayed? You know, anytime you're home, you can pause, you can take a walk, you can pray for you, for your city. You can call out to God on behalf of your city. You can see the pain that people are going through and take a minute to pray. The question is, what's, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? You know, I believe that we're here today because people prayed. Like the church is here in Blaine because people prayed. And I don't know if you've heard this story. If you planned with us, you probably have. But 35 years ago, there were two guys who are now my friends, Scott and Dan. And they committed to walk up and down Peace Portal in Blaine and just pray for the city. You know, and um, they prayed that God's kingdom would come. Uh, they prayed that people's hearts would be open to him. They prayed that God would remove some of the idols. Like 30, 35 years ago, there was um, an adult bookstore and, you know, pornography and all that. And God started to move and take some of these things away and started to open doors. And I believe that we wouldn't be here without people who are committed to pray for their city, to be a light in a dark place. That's how the kingdom grows. You know, we can't forget the fundamentals. We can't forget how to dribble. It happens with prayer. And I was with Dan a few months ago in our um, morning men prayer time. It's 6 a.m. on Mondays. It's a great time to pray. You're half there. Um, but we're praying, and he just starts crying because of all the things that he's seeing happen now that he prayed for 35 years ago. 
was just powerful to be in the room. And, and he's talking about how different churches are growing and, and God is, is at work and he's, pray, he's been, just been faithful for 35 years. And now he's starting to see things change. So I believe that we're here because people prayed. And so we need to continue that legacy. We need to figure out how are we not just going to exist, but how are we going to pray God's kingdom come in our community? You know, the, and, and I would encourage you, just do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Find that space for you to pray, not just for a community, but start with yourself. Start asking God, God, your will be done in my life. God, what needs to change? And then move to the city. God, what are you doing out there? What do you want me to be a part of? Because that's the fundamental. Like, like there are times where I complain to the guys in, in my quad, like, man, I'm just feeling distance from God, distant from God. And their first question is always, well, are you praying? And I'm always like, well, kind of, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think that's it, right? It's like, we know we should, but it's hard. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, if we want to experience the shalom of God, then we got to spend time with him. We got to spend time in the presence of God, the peace of God. You know, if we don't share our burdens with God, if, you know, if we're not learning to rest at his feet, you know, we're just going to be overwhelmed because it's overwhelming out there. Life is just overwhelming. And we're going to be overwhelmed. So prayer is key. It's the key to being both present and different and present in the world. It's prayer. It's prayer that brings in the peace of God. So do whatever you need to do to make it happen. Um, we do have a 6 a.m. Uh, guys morning prayer time. If you want to meet the Dan that I'm talking about, you can join us there. Um, but somebody brought up, hey, wouldn't it be cool if at 8.30 in the morning before service, we had like a pre-morning prayer time, just right over here on these comfortable couches? Like, who wants to do that? Like, three people, four people, they just come, 8.30 next week. I'd love to see people over here just praying, um, not just for the service, but for our community. Like, let's just get in the practice of doing this. You know, because if we don't pray, I don't think we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Like, that's the stakes. If we don't commit ourselves to pray, I don't think we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And if we aren't committed to spending time with God— on a daily basis, then we're going to get caught into the same stuff that is going on out in the culture. We're going to get, um, we're going to feel overwhelmed and under attack because God wants us to be both present and different. God wants us to be both, and it's hard, but it's what he, he wants, and that starts when we trust him. That starts when we're at home with God, when, when spending time with God is the place where we feel most at home. That's when that shalom comes. That's why right after God tells his people to seek shalom in Babylon, he assures them with the hope that one day they will come home. And I'm going to read this, uh, verses 10 and 14, and probably a lot of you will recognize one of the verses in there. It might actually be your life verse. Um, but it's, it says this, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God's coming back. God is coming back. Not just for them, but for us. God is coming back. You know, maybe you guys have been hanging on to, some of you hanging on to Jeremiah 29, 11 as your verse, as God is going to bring a future and a hope. And it completely rests in him. And know that that verse was spoken to a group of hurting exiles who had no idea how they were going to make life work. And here's the key for us today. The big reason we can be the people of peace now is that we always have the hope of home. Home with God. I mean, that's the thing. If we can be home with God, we will always be a people of peace. So God tells these people, settle down, bring peace, pray for your community, dive in, grow gardens, you know? Hopefully that psych some of you out, like, cool, God's telling me to grow a garden. That's what I got out of today. Um, but God's saying, one day I'm going to bring you home. One day I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. You can trust me. You know, and I don't know how much of your life has been shaped by the hope of heaven or God at home with you, but that should be our hope. You know, the beauty is that you don't have to wait for heaven to be at home with God. You don't have to wait for heaven to feel at home with God. Last week we read this verse, and I just want to repeat it. Uh, in John, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. So God invites us now to experience home with him, to be at home with God, to, be, to feel the peace of being at home with God. But just like here in Jeremiah, there is a part that we have to play. And it's this question of when. And God says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then he says right after, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So there is that. Are we going to seek God with everything? Are we going to seek God with everything? Because before we go all in on our community, we have to go all in on God. We have to go all in on God. We'll find this home in Jesus when we seek him with all our heart. That's when shalom happens. So we have to make our home with Jesus. You know, the reason we do this before we engage our community is because we can do a lot of good in our community without God, but only Jesus can heal hearts. Only Jesus can heal souls. Only Jesus can bring eternal hope. And so that's why we got to start there. And so I want to leave you with this. There's 10 years ago, there was a stuffy professor named Dallas Willard, like typical professor, goofy glasses, ruffled coat. Um, and he was speaking to a room for, full of bored college students. I know this because I watched the video and there's guys like, oh man, was this guy going to be out of here? Um, and he challenged them. He said this. He said, our wants, our wants constitute the most important thing about our lives. God leaves us free to deal with the issue of what we want. So what is it you really want? Beyond your grades and your career, God makes the kingdom available to you if that is what you really want to know. But do you want it? If Jesus is what you really want, then Jesus is what you will get. 
And that's what it comes down to. God has made everything available to us. But the question is, do we want that? Do we really want that? At the core of your being, is that what you really want? Do you want the kingdom of God? He's made it available to you. I know that because he died for us. That's what the cross was all about. It, the cross is not about coercing anyone to follow Jesus. It was making it available to us. And it's our decision whether or not it will, we'll accept it. Is that what we want? God isn't going to force anyone into his shalom. God isn't going to force communities into his shalom. He's simply made it available. And the question is, is that what you want? Do you want the shalom of God? You know, I think I'm at a place where I need the shalom of God. <laughs> like, God, bring your peace. But it, that's the question, is whatever you really want out of life, that's what you will pursue. So seek the shalom of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this letter that you wrote to a bunch of exiles who were hurting, who were scared, who were desperate. God, and you wrote to them, just settle down. Just be in the land I have you. And just rest in the peace of God. And Lord, I know that that's difficult, God. It's difficult when you feel surrounded. It's difficult when you feel overwhelmed. It's difficult when you look at the world and, and you see the injustice. You see the hurt. But God, I pray that for everyone here that we would experience the shalom of God in our lives. God, you've made it available to us. Lord, if we're struggling with that desire, if we're struggling with, man, can I really seek God with all of my heart? God, I pray that you change our desires. Lord, I pray that you change our hearts so that we would want that. Lord, right now, with the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to cast off things that are ultimately worthless for this eternal good that you've set before us for the kingdom of God, a treasure that will never go away. And that we would seek it, God, not just for us, but for people who are lost and hurting and broken. God, for people who have no idea who you are or what you're like. God, I pray that you wouldn't just change us for us, but you would change us for your community. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us to be a people committed to prayer. I pray that you would help us to be a people committed to seeking you. Again, not just for us, but for on behalf of our city. God, on behalf of people that you love. Lord, we just want to be changed by you. We want to experience you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impact our hearts this morning, God. If we, if we are in the middle of it, God, if people are uh, suffering, if we are uh, struggling with work, struggling with family, struggling with kids, struggling with whatever, and that peace seems far. I pray that you would, like a gentle father, remind us who you are. God, that we would feel that peace from you this morning, God, as we begin to take communion. In Jesus' name, amen.